Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record program number 900. The Panama Papers and the Underground Reich. This is being recorded on April 13th of the year 2016. In this program, we're going to be exploring some aspects of a story that has dominated the news in recent weeks, and yet there are many aspects of that story that have been either underreported or eclipsed by other aspects of the coverage uh, or ignored completely. Beyond that, we're going to be connecting some dots that need to be connected and which sadly have not been connected by other media voices, both mainstream and alternative. The Panama Papers is a term that has been applied to a massive data leak that has been in turn leaked to or communicated to a consortium of investigative journalists. Uh, the Panama Papers alludes to an enormous offshore operation that has been conducted over a period of many years by a Panama-based law firm called the Mossack, M-O-S-S-A-C-K, Fonseca, F-O-N-S-E-C-A. Now, again, that firm is based in Panama, It has, as I like to say, more connections than a switchboard, and it involves, in a major way, uh, the manipulation of what we have spoken of in some of our conversations with the brilliant Lucy Commissar, last name K-O-M-I-S-A-R, as offshoring. I would recommend in this context, among other shows, for the record, 458, and for the record, 531, both of which are interviews with Lucy Commissar, and she describes some of the various machinations involved in offshoring, as well as some of the individuals and institutions that use offshoring the sheltering of mummies to avoid taxes or the and or the sub rosa communication and transfer of vast amounts of money for various purposes ranging from clandestine business to covert operations to terrorism per se. Again, for the record, 458, and for the record, 531, both interviews with, with the brilliant Lucy Commissar, and there will be links in the description for this program, would give you a good running jump on just what is meant by offshoring. Offshoring, we should note, does not necessarily mean that something is literally offshore. In the U.S., for example, uh, the the states of Delaware and Nevada have been uh, very conducive to offshoring. And in fact, uh, one of the things that we will be talking about concerns the inclinations and activities of the head of a Nevada branch of Mossack Fonseca uh, called MF Nevada. There is an emerging journalistic 
shorthand for Mossack Fonseca, which is abbreviating that firm, again, a law firm based in Panama, that specializes in setting up corporate fronts or other instruments for the laundering of money or for the sheltering of funds from taxation uh, by the governments uh, and, and infrastructures of the various nations uh, to which these individuals and or institutions belong or in which they operate. That shorthand is MF uh, for Mossack Fonseca. Uh, it is an appropriate shorthand. I will leave it to the listener's imagination as to just what I mean by MF uh, as a uh, vulgar shorthand but altogether appropriate uh, abbreviation for Mossack Fonseca. I think as we delve into some of the uh, interesting connections of some of the people involved in this, it will become even uh, clearer. Uh, we should note again that offshoring is by no means limited to Mossack Fonseca. It is also not something new. Uh, in our discussions of the Foreman Capital Network, which appears to be deeply involved with Mossack Fonseca, we have spoken about Operation Safe Haven, which in turn was meant to interdict Operation Adlerflug, uh, or uh, Eagle's Flight, which was meant to get the Nazi capital out of Germany and setting it up in neutral corporate fronts around the world in various neutral or third and or third world countries. This money in turn was thus sheltered from Allied attempts at interdicting that capital flow. Many of those attempts, as we have looked at in among other shows, uh, most recently for the record 894, was greatly aided and abetted by many of the corporations and Wall Street law firms such as Sullivan and Cromwell and John and uh, John Foster and Alan Dulles that had been instrumental in helping to capitalize Nazi Germany in the first place. In the discussion that we are going to be engaging in today, we're going to be looking at a couple of generations of the Mossack family. Jürgen Mossack is the fellow who, as a Panamanian resident, having moved there with his father, Erhard Mossack, set up the law firm Mossack Fonseca, which again has been a major vehicle for sheltering funds for various entities around the world, many of whom do not appear to be sinister necessarily, but they are very much interested in avoiding taxes. On the other hand, many of these elements are indeed sinister, and uh, the appearances of laundering money here are most significant for our purposes. We're going to be taking a look at the probable intelligence career of Erhard Mossbach, who was in the Nazi SS and was, by credible accounts, recruited both at the end of World War II by military intelligence and in 1970 or thereabout by the CIA, the first for doing God knows what, and the second for spying on Cuba. 
as we will see from declassified files. Uh, the evidence suggests very strongly that Erhard Mossack did indeed become a spy for elements of Western intel, quite possibly for the remarkable Galen Organization. Uh, very briefly, many veteran listeners are certainly very familiar with the Galen Organization. Reinhard Galen was the Nazi chief of intelligence for the Eastern Front in World War II. He then jumped with his files, many of his agents, and large numbers of SS and Gestapo veterans to the fledgling CIA, where it became the CIA's Department of Russian and Eastern European Affairs, then became the BND, the German Intelligence Service, and was the de facto NATO Intelligence Service on the Eastern Front uh, or on the former Soviet Union for NATO for many years. It's also worth noting, as we have seen in an essay called The Secret Treaty of Fort Hunt by Carl Oglesby. This is also contained in the book The General Was a Spy by Heinz Hunne and Hermann Zoling that as Galen was jumping to CIA and Western Intel, he was clearing his actions with uh, Admiral Carl Dönitz and with General Franz Halber, his former chief of staff, indicating that the Nazi chain of command was still in effect at the time the Galen Org was jumping to CIA. In AFA 37, we have taken a look at the Galen Organization as in many ways corresponding to or being an updated version of the Truppengeneralstab that was set up by the German army at the end of World War I, and that permitted the encapsulation and subsequent rapid expansion of the German army when they began to rearm. We have also looked at, in For the Record 305, among other shows, the Galen Org's collaboration not only with CIA per se, but also its direction by the Bormann Group and its security director, Heinrich Müller, former head of the Gestapo. There are a number of indications from the classified files that Müller did not die at the end of World War II, as he is supposed to have done, but rather went to work for American intelligence in uh, a capacity that has yet to be fully defined. Now, I'm going to read an article about Erhard Mossack, the father from the Daily Mail of the United Kingdom of April 4th of 2016. Several things to note in this. Note that Erhard Mossack was in the SS, specifically in the SS Death's Head Division. That was the Waffen-SS. Note that he was recruited, apparently, or was considered for recruitment by American intelligence and was in possession, this is most important, was in possession of lists of werewolf members. Now, the werewolves were a last-ditch German guerrilla warfare effort in World War II. They were composed, as we will see, or they were formed under the auspices of the SS and trained by Otto Skorzeny, SS colonel, uh, Hitler's commando chief, a key Galen operative, and a key functionary of the Odessa. 
The werewolves' ranks were composed largely of Hitler youth. They were trained basically as guerrilla fighters to harass the Allies after the formal capitulation, after the retreat and capitulation of the main German army groups. Uh, there is a common myth that is repeated in this Daily Mail article that the werewolf units of the werewolf campaign never actually materialized. It did materialize and materialized even more vigorously behind Soviet lines. It was not the all-encompassing Subrosa unit that it was made out to be in some of the Third Reich's propaganda, but nonetheless, it did become active, and it became active along with the Galen organization in those parts of Germany and Eastern Europe that were occupied by the former Soviet Union. More importantly, uh, werewolf members, as we will see, formed a very important part of a northern rat line, permitting the escape of Nazis from Europe. This through the northern part of Europe and Scandinavia. Uh, that part, that alternative rat line was again supervised by Otto Skorzeny, and member, many members of those werewolf rat line operatives later became Odessa operatives under Otto Skorzeny. You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. Long article-length descriptions of the For the Record programs are available at spitfirelist.com, also featuring information that wasn't in the original program due to the limitations of time. We're also going to take a look at the genesis of the stay-behind units in Germany. Those were put together by uh, the aforementioned Reinhard Galen, working with CIA, and they ultimately morphed into what became better known as Operation Gladio. This was a program under which doctrinaire fascists and extremists of various stripes in NATO countries were put together to form guerrilla groups in the event of a successful Soviet invasion of Western Europe, uh, which was really never a, a viable military possibility, or, as was far more likely, in the event that a communist or communist-leaning or just not sufficiently anti-communist government would come to power in Western Europe. Uh, the stay-behind units were basically patterned after the werewolf units, and it is a pretty good bet that many of the early veterans of some of the German stay-behind units, such as the BDJ, were actually members of the werewolf units. In turn, many, many members of the BDJ, about which we will see more, uh, eventually went on to become key leaders in the German post-war Nazi movement. Also in this article, note again that after he traveled to Latin America, like so many Nazis did, Erhard Mossack uh, appeared to go to work for the CIA's uh, spying on Cuba although that is parsed as simply ha having been uh, an offer he made, uh, declassified files suggest very strongly that, in fact, uh, he did become an operative of some kind. 
Also note that when the Süddeutsche Zeitung, the German paper that helped to break the story of Mossack Fonseca, applied to the BND for information about Erhard Mossack, it was revealed that, in fact, Erhard Mossack did have a file at BND, but that the BND could not release this uh, because it would damage national security, the old national security cover-up, German style in this case. Then uh, note that the son, Jürgen Mossack, became one of the founders of Mossack Fonseca. That was a major offshoring firm, a major tax uh, shelter, and the people we have been told about were primarily either you know, President Putin or allies of his or President Xi of China or allies of his. There were many people and many elements that used this offshore uh, operation, and many of them were not people that uh, were associated with Putin or others. In fact, we're going to take a look at uh, people like the Marcos family and the Tyson Bornemisza family, a primary element of the Bornemisza Capital Network. However, that down the line. First, the Daily Mail article from April 4th of 2016 about Erhard Mossack, his work for the SS, his possible, as we will see, apparent recruitment by U.S. intel at the end of the war, the possibility, I would say very strong, that he worked for BND, his possession of werewolf unit lists, and uh, his ultimate uh, offer to spy for CIA against Cuba in 1970. This article from the Daily Mail in the UK of April 4th of 2016, Panama Pax Scamler is son of Nazi SS officer from dreaded Death's Head Division who fled to South America, then spied on Cuba for the CIA, brother Reveals. Apparently, boy, if the Daily Mail doesn't have the longest headlines of any newspaper on earth, I don't know who does. They do. Uh, by Alan Hall, Isabel Hunter, and Imogen, I-M-O-G-E-N, Calderwood, C-A-D-E-R-W-O-O-D. Again, from the Daily Mail of April 4th of 2016. The main source for much of this is a guy named Horst Mossack, who was the half-brother of Jürgen, uh, who basically was, uh, they were both Erhard Mossack's sons. Jürgen Mossack, however, was sired by, uh, or birthed by a different mother. The article reads, in part, The man behind the Panama Pax scam that guards the clandestine wealth of the global elite is the son of a Nazi SS officer from a unit known as the Death's Head Division. Jürgen Mossack is at the heart of the biggest financial battle leak in history and has allegedly been helping world leaders, politicians, and celebrities launder money, dodge sanctions, and evade taxes from his base in Panama. It has now been revealed that his father, Erhard Mossack, M-O-S-S-A-C-K, was a member of the Nazi fighting unit known as the Death's Head Division, a dreaded force during the Second World War. Today, his half-brother Horst has spoken of his shock and bewilderment at the news of the unmasking of his half-brother. He described the twisted family history that led to the estrangement of the siblings, 
both of whom were raised by a man who not only fought with the Nazis, but later joined the CIA to carry out espionage on Cuba. The 68-year-old Horst last saw his sibling Jürgen 60 years ago when he left the town of Schürth, F-U-U-N-R-T-H, in Bavaria, bearing the name of his father, Erhard. Skipping down. I left all those years ago, and we never had contact again. This is after talking about uh, how they were uh, basically uh, both sired by the same father. However, Horace was uh, born out of wedlock to a woman named Louisa Herzog. What has come out of Panama is shocking news, astounding, bewildering even, but I can't say I feel shame because I have no connection in reality with him. I left all those years ago, and we never had contact again. He, meaning Jürgen, was just a child, so how can I say what I remember of him? All I know is that I heard he went to London and then lived there for quite some time. He has a brother called Peter and a sister called Marion in Germany. Both my mother and their father are dead. By the way, Peter is now the honorary consul for the nation of Panama in Frankfurt. Frankfurt, by the way, is the seat of the European Central Bank, whether or not that's relevant. It wouldn't surprise me if that was. It is interesting that uh, Peter Mossack, the brother of Jürgen Mossack, is Panama's honorary consul to the city of Frankfurt in Germany. Now, about Erhard Mossack, his service in the SS, his uh, apparent recruitment by Western, by American intel at the end of the war, uh, the BND declining to release information from their files on Erhard Mossack. Erhard Mossack's offer to spy for CIA on Cuba in Panama, something, by the way, that would place him in the operational context of uh, station J.M. Wave in Miami under uh, the notorious and ferocious late Theodore Shackley. Erhard Mossack. I remember that Erhard Mossack, their father, was in the SS. I believe after the war he became a journalist. German media have reported that Erhard served as a Rotenfuhrer, R-O-T-T-E-N-F-U-E-H-R-E-R, roughly corresponding to a senior corporal in the Waffen or fighting arm of the dreaded SS. The Süddeutsche Zeitung in Munich, one of the publications in the Global Alliance of Newspapers which unmasked the activities of Jürgen Mossack's firm in Panama, said Erhard served in a death's head unit of the SS. These were the units which ran the concentration camps, but if he was in the Waffen-SS, it probably meant he served in the 3rd Waffen-SS Panzer Division Totenkopf. Most of the division's initial enlisted men were recruited from concentration camp guards, and others were members of militias that had committed war crimes in Poland. Due to its insignia, it was sometimes referred to as the Death's Head Division. Members of the division committed war crimes, one of them against British soldiers. But Le Paradis, L-E, and then P-A-R-A-D-I-S, massacre was carried out by members of the 14th Company of the Totenkopf Division. It took place on May 27, 1940, during the Battle of France, at a time when the British Expeditionary Force was attempting to retreat to the Pas de Calais region during the Battle of Dunkirk. Soldiers of the 2nd Battalion, 
the Royal Norfolk Regiment had become isolated from their regiment. They occupied and defended a farmhouse against an attack by Waffen-SS forces in the village of Le Paradis. After running out of ammunition, the defenders surrendered to the German troops, but the Germans machine-gunned the men after surrendering, with survivors killed with bayonets. Two men survived with injuries and were later hidden by locals until they were captured by German forces several days later. Note the next part, it is very important. According to the Süddeutsche Zeitung, Erhard was captured by the Americans in Munich after the war with a list of Nazi werewolf members upon him. The werewolf units were intended to fight on as a guerrilla force after the surrender, but this never happened. The newspaper said it applied to the German Federal Intelligence Service, the BND, for information about him. The BND confirmed that documents existed on him, but said they would not be released because this could endanger, quote, the well-being of the Federal Republic of Germany or one of its members. One this last sentence again. The newspaper said it applied to the German Federal Intelligence Service, the BND, for information about him. The BND confirmed that documents existed on him, but said they would not be released because this could endanger the well-being of the Federal Republic of Germany or one of its members. In 1948, he left Germany with his family to settle in Panama and later returned to Munich with his wife during the 1970s. According to reports, U.S. Army intelligence archives hold a file on him as he allegedly offered his services to the U.S. government as an informant, claiming, quote, he was about to join a clandestine organization, either of former Nazis turned communist or of unconverted Nazis cloaking themselves as communists. An Army intelligence officer wrote that the offer to spy for the U.S. might simply be a shrewd attempt to get out of an awkward situation. Nevertheless, the old intelligence files indicate that Mossack's father later ended up in Panama, where he offered to spy again, this time for the CIA on communist activity in nearby Cuba. The children Peter and Marion returned to Germany in the 1970s. Brother Peter is the honorary consul for the nation of Panama based in Frankfurt. We're going to develop some of these uh, concepts a little more fully. First, note that the interagency working group was set up in 1999 to find and disclose information related to investigations of Nazi and Japanese World War II war crimes. It does contain a record for Erhard Mossack in the section for FBI files. And although it, it is a relatively sparse entry, the category section of Mossack, it lists Foreign Counterintelligence, formerly Internal Security, and Foreign Intelligence. Uh, the probability is very strong that Mossack did, in fact, work for Western Intel. Certainly for the Galen Org, I would say, 
and uh, then very possibly for CIA per se, although possibly still spying, seconded to CIA by the Galen Organization. Again, the Galen Org was an extension of the Third Reich's uh, National Security Service uh, through CIA, through NATO, on up into the Federal Republic of Germany, and it was really a remarkable organization in and of itself, and there is a, a great deal of bureaucratic continuity between the old Galen Org and the present-day BND. What we're going to do now is to listen to a short section from AFA program number one from April of 1984. Uh, about 32, yeah, well, about a little over, yeah, a little over 32 years ago. And we're going to listen to a portion of AFA number one, The Hidden History of the Cold War, part one. In addition to my own voice, you will also hear the voice of my very competent and charming former co-host, Nick Tuck, whose uh, activities were absolutely essential for the, fully, for the full realization of the archive shows. Now, the material, material you are going to hear comes from the book The Borman Brotherhood by William Stevenson, and it is about the werewolf gorillas, and you're going to hear what the what radio werewolf was broadcasting, and that I think it not only sounded a theme, which became a major part of Cold War uh, parlance or propaganda, but in turn, I think the anti-communist bent of werewolves or their ideological bent in many ways anticipates not only uh, the werewolf activities that we uh, are going to document, but also the probability that werewolf veterans were involved with the BDJ, the original Galen-formed stay-behind guerrillas that materialized in West Germany. One of, the, one of these guerrilla groups was called the werewolves. Now, the werewolves were comprised primarily of Hitler youth. Now, the interesting thing is that the werewolves had an interesting battle cry which was broadcast by uh, Joseph Goebbels' propaganda ministry during the closing days of the Third Reich. And it's a battle cry that will be pretty familiar to the bunch of you, I think. Of the battle cry of the uh, werewolf guerrillas who uh, were set up by Galen and carried on guerrilla warfare in Eastern Europe after World War II. Officials who helped the enemy had to be publicly punished. It was the symbolism, as always, that counted. Radio Werewolf hammered the theme, Better Dead Than Red, a phrase that lived long after. Bolshevism was the real enemy. The Nazis had always resisted the Bolsheviks. Therefore, any German who helped the enemies of Nazism was helping the Bolsheviks and was a traitor. A climate was being created that would favor the concealment of wanted men. So again, the cry of Radio Werewolf, their battle cry, better dead than red. And that is where the phrase better dead than red comes from. And of course, that uh, is one of the mainstays of uh, sort of rabid anti that That phrase is one of the, the, the watchwords of rabid anti-communism today. I begin from AFA number one and from the Borman Brotherhood by William Stevenson. You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. You can subscribe to the comments posted on the SpitfireList.com website, most of them by a brilliant contributing editor who uses the moniker Terra Fractal, specializing, but by no means exclusively, in economic and financial matters. The werewolf organization did not become a major thorn in the Western Allies' side. It was among 
the guerrilla groups that didn't harass the Red Army in their rear, uh, and as such undoubtedly came under the purview of the Galen organization. However, it was not something that, quote, never materialized, unquote, as, as it is frequently made out to have been, and as it is mistakenly characterized in that Daily Mail article. Uh, very briefly about the werewolves from a thefeldgrau.com blog by a guy named Russ Folson, F-O-L-S-O-M, is a uh, cursory history or account of the werewolves. Uh, they did become militarily active. They were not militarily significant in terms of the actual uh, combatant forces, but they were basically under the auspices of the SS. The Galen Org during the closing phases of World War II was under the RSHA, the Reich Sicherheitshauptamt, the High Bureau of Reich Security, literally, which was in, con- uh, in control of the SS and the Gestapo. Uh, from the Werewolf Organization, the Werewolf Organization's assassination of the Allied-appointed Bürgermeister of Aachen, Dr. Franz Oppenhoff, in March of 1945, is probably the best-known and most widely publicized exploit of this hapless band of politically indoctrinated youngsters who hailed for the most part from the ranks of the Hitler Youth and the Bund Deutscher Mädel. Charles Whiting, a.k.a. Leo Kessler, wrote a book named Werewolf, recently reprinted, which details this very same mission called Unternehmen Carnival, Operation Carnival. The leader of the the assassination team was a veteran of the German Army's famous Brandenburg Infiltration Specialist Formation named Herbert Wenzel, who had transferred to Otto Skorzeny's SS Jagdverband Friedenthal, and who at the time of the operation held the rank of SS Untersturmführer or Second Lieutenant. According to a number of sources, the idea for a werewolf organization originated in the fall of 1944 at a meeting attended by Reichsführer SS Heinrich Himmler, Arthur Axmann, A-X-M-A-N-N, Hitler Youth Jugendführer, SS Obergruppenführer Hans Adolf Prutzmann, P-R-U-T-Z-M-A-N-N, RSHH Chief Ernst Carlton Brunner, who was also nominally in charge of the Galen Orgner at this point in the war, and Waffen-SS Obersturmbannführer Otto, Obststurmbannführer Otto Skorzeny. At the meeting in Hohenleichen, Himmler appointed Putzmann as plenipotentiary in charge of the recruiting and training of werewolf agents from skilled specialists in weapons and communications from among, among the armed forces, and the Hitler Youth, who would then be trained beneath the aegis of Skorzeny's SS Jagdverband, or hunting teams. Once trained in sabotage and varying forms of deadly mischief, teams of these werewolf commandos comprised mostly of H.J. volunteers, but commanded by older, battle-experienced, hand-picked cadre from the German Army and Waffen-SS, would operate behind the enemy lines as guerrillas, creating a deadly mishap amongst the op- occupying forces and relying useful intelligence to a central armed forces entity, supposedly in unoccupied territory. Again, that is an excerpt of a relatively conventional history of the werewolves. They did actually become active. If you simply Google or use your favorite search engine, Werewolf and Aachen, A-A-C-H-E-N, some of the history will uh, appear relatively quickly. 
what is significant. And again, at the period when he was arrested by American forces and in the roughly the same period of which he was considered for recruitment as a, quote, informant, he was in possession of the rosters of werewolf units. Now, this is more than a little significant because far more than their battlefield significance itself. The werewolves who were put together under the auspices of SS, run by Scorzami, and who were coalesced or put together in the fall of 1944 after the August 1944 meeting in Strasbourg, Alsace-Lorraine, which resulted in the formation of uh, the Mormon Flight Capital Network. The werewolves had a larger significance, and that was for the post-war Nazi effort, uh, the early stages of what I call the Underground Reich. Uh, one of the best books about fascism uh, recently published is The Beast Reawakens by Martin A. Lee. Uh, there is a hard and soft cover edition put together uh, that were published, I should say, uh, and there it is also available uh, in, uh, in, um, in or on Google Books as well. Little Brown was the publisher of the hardcore, uh, the hardcover edition. Now, in Martin A. Lee's The Beast Reawakens, there is discussion of the werewolves not in the context of a battlefield combatant role, but as part of the operatives of a northern rat line to help Nazis escape from Europe through uh, northern Europe to Latin America, and also as key personnel for Otto Skorzeny's post-war Odessa network. Reading from The Beast Reawakens for, um, on page 42, another major rat line, Odessa North, stretched through Denmark, Sweden, and Norway, where an underground network of SS veterans and werewolves smuggled Nazi renegades over land and sea until they were picked up by ships heading to Spain and Argentina. According to Danish journalist Henrik Kruger, Scandinavian police officials and Argentine diplomats were instrumental in facilitating traffic along this Odessa North route. The key leg men on the ground were personnel who had undergone werewolf training towards the end of World War II. Skorzeny was instrumental in selecting and schooling the werewolves, some of whom later resurfaced as Odessa operatives in Scandinavia, while Scarface orchestrated the escape of Nazis from concentration camps. So again, note the significance of the werewolves for the post-World War II Odessa North Ratman and also for the the early stages of the formation of what I call the Underground Reich. The werewolves were also on the parent template for the formation of the stay-behind units, best known as the Gladio units, put together by in NATO countries, initially by CIA, later by CIA, with the Galen Org, and uh, not only were the German stay-behind units and later the others obviously modeled on the werewolf template, but it is a pretty good bet that actual veterans 
of the werewolf units themselves, including uh, werewolves who had gone to work for the, some of the Scorzami post-war networks, were involved with the early stay-behind units. The uh, main unit is the Bund Deutscher Jugend, or BDJ. Uh, reading once again from the, the Beast Reawakens by Martin A. Lee. The Bund Deutscher Jugend, or BDJ, an elite CIA-trained paramilitary cadre composed largely of Hitler Youth, Wehrmacht, and SS personnel, also set its sights on Adenauer's domestic political opponents. Skipping down. Back in the 1950s, German neo-Nazi Friedhelm Busse, B-U-S-S-E, and his fellow BDJ veterans were supposed to remain underground and engage in acts of sabotage and resistance in the event of the Soviet invasion, much like Otto Skorzeny's werewolves. But instead of focusing on foreign enemies, the leaders' abuses stay-behind units proceeded to, proceeded to draw up a death list that included future German Chancellor Willy Brandt and several other leading Social Democrats, West Germany's main opposition party, who were marked for liquidation in the event of an ill-defined national security emergency. The BDJ's cover was blown in October of 1952 when the West German press got wind of the fact that the U.S. was backing a neo-Nazi death squad. After a brief media storm, West German stay-behind forces regrouped with help from the Galen Org, which organized several werewolf-type sleeper nets throughout the Federal Republic on the CIA's behalf. Again, I think it is altogether possible that Erhard Mossack's probable recruitment both by the Galen Org slash CIA and later by the Galen slash BND initially had to do with the werewolf unit list that he had in his possession. Because again, of the werewolves themselves, although not significant in the combat of World War II, did indeed become a significant element of the post-war Nazi underground and were commanded by Skorzeny himself, or trained by Skorzeny himself, uh, Skorzeny becoming a key Galen operative and a major uh, operative of the underground Reich and the far right in the post-World War II period. And for the record, 894, we took a look at an account of this same unit from uh, the book The Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot, uh, talking about the BDJ and stay-behind units, which were apparently modeled on the Skorzeny Werewolf Project, and which in all probability included actual veterans of the werewolves themselves. It's worth noting that, uh, again, Erhard Malsack was SS. His son, Jürgen, was the guy who set up Malsack Fonseca. People should stop and think, first of all, what do they think the SS taught their children to do? Do you think they taught them to become choir boys? No, they were indoctrinated with carrying on the philosophy and again, uh, the BND declined to release its file on Erhard Mossack for what basically is the German version of national security reasons. Uh, from Der Spiegel of November 30th of 2013, there is an article by Klaus Wiegrefer, or W-I-E-G-R-E-F-E, -E -E, I may be mispronouncing that, talking about Ernst 
Ulau, who became head of the BND, and under his tenure, uh, a large number of BND personnel files were destroyed, and those files were on BND officials with backgrounds in the SS and Gestapo. Again, from Der Spiegel of November 30th of 2013, obscuring the past, intelligence agency destroyed files on former SS members by Klaus Wiegrefer Der Spiegel, November 30th of 2013. Historians conducting an internal study of ties between employees of the German Foreign Intelligence Agency and the Third Reich have made a shocking discovery. In 2007, the BND destroyed personnel files of employees who had once been members of the SS and the Gestapo, skipping down. Now, only one week before Erlau's retirement, the commission has uncovered what is a true historical scandal. The researchers have found that the BND destroyed the personnel files of around 250 BND officials in 2007. The agency has confirmed that this happened. The commission claims that the destroyed documents include papers on people who were, quote, in significant intelligence positions in the SS, the SD, the intelligence agency of the SS and Nazi Party, or the Gestapo. Skipping down again. It's no secret that some people within the BND are unhappy about the project. Some employees are fundamentally opposed to the agency shedding light on its own past. Others are worried about the reputations of their own families. For many years, the BND deliberately recruited new staff from among the relatives of existing BND employees. So it was, in fact, Jürgen Mossack, perhaps, recruited for BND, or perhaps working for CIA. Certainly, for any major intelligence service, uh, keeping tabs on major capital flows would be a high-priority item. So the possibility that Jürgen Mossack, Erhard Mossack's son, who set up Mossack Fonseca, may also have been involved with intelligence, CIA, BND, or whoever, is very strong indeed. Because again, keeping uh, one's finger on the pulse of international clandestine capital flows like those that went through Mossack Fonseca would have been a top priority for any intel service. You're listening to Dave Emery's For the Record. All of Dave Emery's 36 years of work is available for download on the SpitfireList.com website. The site includes many articles not included in the programs, as well as a small library of old anti-fascist books. All of the material on the website is available for free. Sister station WFMU is podcasting the For the Record programs. To subscribe to the podcast, use the link at the top of the description for this program or on the front page. Uh, we've been hearing primarily about, you know, Russians and uh, associates of Putin or Chinese and associates of Chinese President Xi in connection with the Panama Papers. Others have been uh, disclosed but are not getting uh, that much publicity. From Der Spiegel of April 4th of 2016, an article by Mark Pitzke, P-I-T-Z-K-E, Offshore Leaks, Vast Web of Tax Evasion Exposed. Skipping down. The list also includes Ime Marcos, the governor of the Philippines' Ilocos Norte province, and the eldest daughter of former dictator Ferdinand Marcos. 
She is believed to hold secret trusts on the British Virgin Islands. ICIJ reports that Filipino authorities now want to investigate whether some of the billions in assets Marcos is believed to have taken out of the country are parked in the tax haven. Skipping down again. The list of names from Spain includes Baroness and art collector Carmen Kiesen Bornemisa, who is identified in the documents as using a company based in the Cook Islands to buy artwork through auction houses like Sophie's and Christie's. Uh, very quickly, the Marcos fortune, as we had seen in our discussions of the book Gold Warriors by Peggy and Sterling Seagrave, both interviews with the authors and in many uh, programs excerpting that fundamentally important text, we have seen how, among other entities, the Marcos fortune was in many ways derived from the unearthing, literally, of some of the enormous, fabulously wealthy or extraordinarily valuable gold caches that were put together by the Japanese uh, at the during the closing phases of World War II. That was called the Golden Lily Operation. There are numerous programs about that. And so when we see Ime Marcos, the governor of a Philippines province, and uh, Ferdinand Marcos's eldest daughter, uh, being one of the people there, we can bet that the Panama Papers were, or the, the Mossack Fonseca, I should say, involved the clandestine uh, holding or depositing of monies from the golden, the original Golden Lily staff, some of them that were trafficked through M.A. Marcos. The Kiesen Bornemisa family, as we have looked at in For the Record 305, For the Record uh, 152. The Thyssen Bornemisa family were deeply involved with the Borman Flight Capital Network, and indeed, and for the record, 152, side A, members of the family were putting heat on Paul Manning not to write his book, Martin Borman, Nazi in Exile. As we have looked at in, for the record, program 8, uh, 791, rather, they may not know art, but they know what they like, Stolen art has been a major vehicle also for generating capital for the post-World War II Nazi underground and the Borman group. And beyond that, uh, stolen art was a major factor in the alleged of the deal, apparently cut to uh, assure the escape of Adolf Hitler in the book Grey Wolf. Uh, the deal, uh, which they claim was cut by between Alan Dulles and Martin Borman, involved the preservation of Western art rather than its destruction of this art originally garnered for the Philo Museum in exchange for the project, that, that and the project paperclip uh, German military specialists who transited to the West uh, at the end of the war. Those were the main elements in a deal to uh, allow the escape of Adolf Hitler. I would note that the Gurlitz affair that broke in Germany, father and son Gurlitz, appears also to involve the clandestine trafficking in stolen Nazi art. Again, another major element of the post-war Nazi capital program. Uh, more about uh, the Mossack Fonseca and their covering for art that was stolen uh, at uh, during World War II and, in general, uh, for using art 
as a vehicle for money laundering. From Vice News of April 7th of 2016, article by Jake Bernstein, How the Panama Papers Exposed Secrecy in the Arts Market, talks about this. Uh, I'm not going to read the article itself. Note that they also mention uh, the Tizen Bornemisa clan of Spain as being one of the families that traffics art through the this uh, international art center that was set up by Mossack Fonseca. It is run by a family named Mahmad. I think that's the pronunciation, M-A-H-M-A-D, although they are officially Jews, as we have looked at in For the Record 305. The Mormon organization made a point of utilizing Jews, um, people I have termed Mormon Jews, as uh, people to uh, basically maintain the front for the organization. One of the interesting things about uh, that International Art Center, skipping down in the story, ownership of the company was held through bearer shares, also called bearer bonds. These are simply certificates that allow whoever holds the paper to anonymously transfer or claim their value. Today, they are banned in many countries because of their usefulness to those who want to engage in tax evasion and money laundering. Bearer bonds or bearer shares were a major vehicle for the Borman Capital Network. Uh, one of the Nachmed uh, clan, Heli Nachmed, uh, was wiretapped and was talking about the usefulness of art as a vehicle for laundering money. Wiretaps in the case cautioned discussing how his family art business could be used to hide money. Sometimes a bank needs a justification for a wire, right? He said, according to a conversation from March of 2012, quoted in the government's sentencing memoranda. We can just say, oh, you're buying a painting. If they need justification, you know what I mean? You just be like, oh, yeah, I bought a, you know, Picasso drawing or something. And uh, of the mysterious of this, what is known about Wilton Trading, another of the subsidiary companies, comes from the court cases in Switzerland. It was created in 1981, but didn't have directors until 1995. Ten years after the sales agreement was supposedly signed, according to a Swiss prosecutor, the paper on which the sales agreement is inked didn't exist in 1985, and no one has been able to prove that any money changed hands. Then there's also discussion of a painting called Seated Man with a Cane that disappeared during the Nazi occupation of Paris and then mysteriously reappeared, apparently having been placed by this Mossack Fonseca subsidiary element. Another interesting aspect of the breaking of the case, one of the first articles, or perhaps the first article about Mossack Fonseca, was broken in Vice News, uh, specifically, this shady bank keeps helping banks and oligarchs launder money. It was offered by Ken Silverstein, S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. Uh, it was published in Vice of March 13th of 2015, about a year ago. At this point in time, Silverstein was working for Pierre Omidyar's First Look Media. They would not publish the story. And then later, after uh, Ken Silverstein published it with Vice, uh, and there's an exchange of tweets, uh, Pierre Omidyar tried to get him to, uh, well, he tried to collect a fee 
for the article. We've looked at Pierre Omidyar and his uh, role as something of a cat's paw for elements of U.S. intel. And uh, I wonder about his possible connection with the Mormon network as well. Certainly the fact that Pierre Omidyar's uh, first look media would not publish the case, but later uh, demanded money in exchange for Ken Silverstein's uh, publication, or, or his authorship of the article by Vice News, is interesting and certainly gives us some perspective on uh, the integrity, if one could call it that, of uh, First Look Media and The Intercept. I've talked about a citizen only girl, as I call him, in among other shows, for the record 889. For the duration, we're going to take a look at a woman named Patricia, and I'm not sure about the pronunciation, Amuna Tegui, A-M-U-N-A-T-E-G-U-R. She's a native Chilean, discussed again in this article by Ken Silverstein in Vice News of March 13th of 2015. This shady bank keeps helping banks and oligarchs launder money. As I reported after an extensive investigation that includes trips to Panama and Las Vegas, where Mossack Fonseca uses a closely linked firm MF Corporate Services to help its clients set up bogus shell companies, the Panamanian law firm has a long list of shady prior clients. Incidentally, the main employee of MF Corporate Services is Patricia Amuna Tegai, a native Chilean who previously worked as a casino cocktail waitress and, based on her Facebook page, enjoys yoga, spiritualism, and hiking and admires, check this out, Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet, the Dalai Lama, and the Tea Party. Look at the Dalai Lama and his links to the Underground Reich in many past programs. There will be links in the description to this show. Also note that her likes include Mitt Romney, Sarah Palin, and Americans for Prosperity, that's a Koch Brothers firm. Uh, much of the likes on Ms. Uh, Patricia Amunitagay's uh, Facebook page concerns things related to the Self-Realization Foundation, uh, and that is uh, an organization, a relatively respectable, uh, I would call it a cult, that was uh, founded by uh, Paramansa. Yogananda, Yogi Yogananda, Y-O-G-A-N-A-N-D-A. He's been around a long time. And uh, just a touch of uh, what he was into, among other things. He was one of these uh, New Age icons who had some very nice things to say about fascism. Uh, in an interview, Yogananda praising fascism in the 30s from the gold scales. Hitler is to be admired for leaving the League of Nations because peace can never be obtained attained by the victor and vanquished attitude, but on the basis of equality and brotherhood. And he goes on in that vein. The next year, when Yogananda toured Germany, he tried to have an interview with Hitler. Hitler declined. And uh, then it, it's uh, stated in this, and I have to attenuate this due to the limitations of time. The entire post is in the description for the show. If the tale be true, Yogananda claims to have mercifully invaded Hitler's mind and violated his free will and caused massacres of millions by, by convincing Hitler or hypnotizing him to invade the former Soviet Union. And they're talking 
about uh, Mussolini as well. In an article with East West Magazine from February of 34, individualism and socialism are conflicting philosophies in the modern world. Which is more likely to prevail in the future? Answer. Individual perfection and social upliftment, upliftment are independent, are interdependent, I should say. A master brain like that of Mussolini does more good than millions of social organizations of group intelligence. And again, that is, um, that uh, Yogi Yogananda and his related organizations dominate the likes on the Facebook page of Ms. Amanita Guy. This concludes much more information in the written description for the show that I could not include uh, due to the limitations of time. This concludes, for the record, program number 900, the Panama Papers and the Underground Reich. This has been recorded on April 13th of the year 2016. I'm Dave Emery. Ciao.